Amen. Amen. Randy, would you help us with our uh, children's sermon this morning? Would you? Uh, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, we, we're going to do something uh, a little bit fun. So if you. If you would, uh, kids, come right here up front, because I need you to see up front. So if you're in, normally in children's church, and you, and you want to experience children's church with Pastor Rob this morning, do that right here, up front. So just come have a seat. Have a seat right here. Just right here so you can see me. Up, right here. Eyes up here. Okay? Now, I need one volunteer that, uh, that, can, that can help me this morning. Uh, all right. I'm not going to pick my own child, but, uh, Peter, Peter, can you help me this morning? Can you come up here on the stage? Uh, give it up for Peter. So I've got my two experts right here. Randy Foraker is, is a uh, banker. How long have you been doing banking, Randy? Uh, I've been doing it over 36 years. 36 years. So you know a little bit about money. Pete, do you know a little bit about money here? Do you know a little bit about money? Yes. You do. What do you know about money? Well, I know my bills and my coins. And... Well, that's great. He knows his bills and his coins. All right. So because, because he knows his bills and his coins, and this is a banker, I've got $100 here, kids. You see this $100 right here? Man, this is a good hundred dollars. I want to know from our expert witnesses right here, is this a real hundred dollars? Would you look at it? Would you, would you touch that? Feel it? Maybe even taste it. No, don't taste it. But, <laughs> but would you look at it and see, is that a real hundred dollars? Okay. Hold, hold on. Hold on. Let's, let's get the answer. What do you think? No. I it's not it's real. Wrong. Okay. What our expert banker, what do you say? Well, you know, there's, there's different kinds of currency, but, um, you know, I don't think this one is legit. It's not legit. It says 100 wishes, uh, Disneyland Monopoly on it. That's not, that's not real. Okay, now I've got this. What do you, what do you kids think about this? Oh, you think it, you think it might be real? Okay, let's ask our expert witnesses of what they think. Now, I want you to look at this very carefully. To see what you think about it. Look it under the light. Yeah. See if it has that seal on there. Yeah. He's looking at it. All right. What do you think, sir? Now, now let Randy look at it before you give your answer. Let Randy expect that. Now, what do you think, Pete? Yes. Oh, he says it's real. Now, Randy, what do you think? Well, you know, it's it's got the feel. It's got all the marks and signs on it. Um, so, yes, I believe this is a true 100 that's great. So it is because what Randy said, it looks, it feels. Would you say that it's almost undeniable that this is the real thing? Yeah. Yes, he does. What, what about you? Yes, I believe it's undeniable that it's a true, real $100 bill. You know what? And Jesus, all the works that he did in healing people... He even healed the leprous diseases. He made a man who could not walk say, rise up, take your mat and walk. And he was healed immediately. A man who couldn't, his arm couldn't even stretch out. He says, stretch out his arm. And immediately the man's arm was stretched out. Jesus is undeniable. Just like these experts here said that this $100 bill is real. 
Jesus showed us that he was real by what he, not only he said, but what he did, ultimately dying on the cross and showing us that he is truly real by resurrecting from the dead. So give it up for Pete and Randy this morning and our experts up here. You guys can go have a seat. Thank you so much for joining us in the children's sermon this morning. My uh, my team told me that I couldn't do it, and I did it this morning, the children's sermon, so you can give it up. I guess I'm the only one on the team that can't lead worship. I guess that's me this morning, So, uh, but they did a great job, and uh, I know that, that the Lord was glorifying glorified in that great job and baptisms they they just don't seem to need me anymore i go to santa cruz and they're like hey we got the service it's good so uh we just got back from santa cruz it was a fantastic journey uh of faith as we took about 11 people on a mission trip to santa cruz california uh yes that was it was fantastic it was wonderful we got to see brad pitt's house his 40 million dollar house and we got the same view as brad pitt for it didn't it cost us ten dollars for our whole van so we were we were thankful for that um to be able to see that but the beauty of god's creation is magnificent there on the coast on the beach. Um, we got to help a church. And um, so Santa Cruz, when we first went to Santa Cruz four years ago to help Santa Cruz Baptist Church plant there with my friend Drew Cunningham, literally they had less than 20 people in their service. When we worshiped with them on Sunday morning, the Sunday that we were there, they had 162 people. Praise the Lord. Amen. So we've been a part of that growth and seeing the kingdom of God uh, grow exponentially there. Uh, And so much so that a church in San Jose in the middle of Silicon Valley, 10 minutes from Apple, 10 minutes from Google, 10 minutes from Stanford, 10 minutes from uh, Facebook, uh, a church there um, has only seven people left. And I was able to preach and our team was able to go to that church on Sunday to preach to the seven people plus our 11. So 18 people in the service. But uh, Drew's church in Santa Cruz Baptist is helping replant that church for the kingdom of God. And uh, we're going to be partnering with them in that endeavor. And it's going to be a great journey. So it was great to partner with them, prayer walk around their church, and see all that God wants to do in and through Foothill Baptist Church there in the middle of it all, Silicon Valley. So uh, that was fantastic. You'll hear some testimonies about that later. I guess we just have it all this morning. So let's get into the word together, though. As we move to a new section of Mark chapter 3, the, the verse that ended last week in which Cody shared with you is verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. That means that they held counsel with some of the wickedest people on the face of the earth. The Herodians, King Herod, remember him and all of his people. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law who are supposed to understand that the Christ is coming, the Messiah is coming, are now collaborating with these Roman governments in order to destroy Jesus. 
After everything that Christ has done, all the prophecies that he's already is fulfilling, they reject the undeniable king. So this morning, we really transition from that section. That's how that section ends in the book of Mark with the Pharisees wanting to destroy Jesus. And not only will he prove himself, but he'll doubly prove himself in the next section. Not only will he heal the sick, but he's going to raise the dead. Not only is he going to cast out one demon, but he's going to cast out a legion of demons. He's going to even calm the waves of the storm and the forces of nature, proving that he himself is God. And it hints at this section, drawing these battle lines and asking the important question, whose side are you on? So this section this morning is more of a transition section, but it is the undeniability of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and his name is Jesus. So let's, let's look at it in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 through 12. If you'll stand with me in the reading of God's Word, that's what we do here at Northwest. We have a lot of family and friends here for the baptisms. We're glad that you are here with us. And we stand and read God's Word with us this morning. In verse 7 of Mark chapter 3, Jesus withdrew... <clears throat> With his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he had healed many So that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. You can be seated. Let us pray this morning. The next section of scripture will be his naming of the twelve apostles. It's a beautiful section But we transition into these crowds coming to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we ask that we would be people who come to Jesus knowing that he is the true king of kings. Father, help our hearts and our minds to respond to this king. Father, we pray that uh, we would see Jesus for who he is. Not as a good teacher or just somebody that can help us. But he is the Lord Almighty and their Father, because he is God, it demands a response from us. And this gospel demands a response from us. That we cannot sit quietly by Father, we pray that your spirit would come upon your people, that you would speak to their hearts, and that they would submit their lives to you as Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Did you know that Romans tells us that God himself has revealed 
himself through his creation. Romans chapter 1, 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they were without excuse. It's clearly perceived, just as we we showed earlier, it's clearly perceived that this is true. This is a true $100 bill. It's clearly perceived That there is a designer, a creator. The book that we used for our trip to uh, kind of prep was called Essential Christianity. And in it, J.D. Greer was showing the undeniability that there is a God through the cosmos. That all of creation screams that there is a designer, there is a creator, there is a God. Did you know that our ecosystem is so fragile that even just off the slightest bit, we could not survive? Did you know that the level of oxygen in the air, if it dropped 6%, we wouldn't have enough oxygen to breathe? Did you know if it rose by 6% of oxygen level, our planet would erupt into a giant fireball? Probably not good for us, would it? If the carbon dioxide level were 0.5% higher, our world would become an oven. If it were 0.02% lower, we would not have an atmosphere at all. Cosmologists say that if the earth were 2% closer to the sun, it would be too hot for water to exist. And if our planet were not tilted at exactly 23.5 degrees, temperatures would be far more extreme, so extreme, guess what? We could not live on this planet. Did you know if Jupiter weren't the size that it is and in the place that it is, I know you really care about Jupiter, but if it wasn't the size and the place that it really was, that around 10,000 asteroids would hit the earth. That wouldn't be good for us, would it? Thank God for Jupiter, right? It takes all our blows, right? Boom, boom, boom. Jupiter can take the blows, but we can't. The Oxford mathematician John Lennox said the survival of our ecosystem is like a marksman hitting a coin at the far side of the observable universe, 20 billion light years away. That's what he said. He said the exact ecosystem is like shooting a bullet light years on the other side of the universe and hitting a coin. It's impossible without a designer. You know, you can, you can, the same complexity and, and exactness is found in each DNA strand, and it's undeniable that there is a designer. And in the same way, guess what? These crowds, they flock to Jesus. Why? Because it's undeniable that he's healing people. It's undeniable that what he is doing is not done. He's doing something that normal people cannot do. They come from all over the world to see Jesus the healer. And in Mark's irony, it would be the Pharisees 
who had an up-close perspective, who are watching these people be healed, be regenerated, that they would deny Christ and end up being the ones who would crucify him. And through that crucifixion, he would truly show that he was the son of God to everyone. It would be undeniable because he resurrected from the dead. Amen? This is the undeniability of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Verse 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed him. So he's withdrawing before he's going into towns. He's healing people. Now he cannot enter towns. Now he's going to desolate places and now he's withdrawing from the desolate places into the sea. Why? Because these hordes of people are gathering around him. And they're coming from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia. And from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. This is our first point this morning. The proof that Jesus is the Son of God is undeniable. The crowds understood it. I guess the question is, do you understand it? The proof that Jesus is the Son of God is undeniable. There's a ton going on in these verses. Not only are the people flocking to Jesus, they're coming from everywhere. North, south, east, west. Mark is telling us that through these regions in which he gives. But they're not only Jews, not only the people of God who have the word of God, who understand the scriptures of God, that the Son of God is coming, the Messiah is coming, but also Gentiles. Edomia is Edom, Esau's people. Tyre and Sidon are modern day Lebanon. These cities were supposed to be destroyed by the tribe of Asher, but they never ruled over Tyre and Sidon. Guess, guess who is the most, one of the most famous people from Sidon? That's a Sidonian. It's Jezebel. One of the most wicked queens of all time. More wicked than the queen in Snow White. I had to look up her name. Queen Grimilda. Sorry if your name is Grimilda. But that is the most wicked queen, Jezebel. She was from Sidon. A Gentile city. Old Testament relates the king of Tyre to even Satan himself. So Tyre and Sidon, he's telling us these Gentile cities are coming to Jesus. And, and, and a, a theme throughout the scriptures is that the Gentiles will come to Jesus because of the rejection of him by the Jews. So it's no coincidence that verse 6 is the Pharisees who are the Jews, the Jewish people who represent the religious leaders are rejecting Christ. And now the Gentiles are coming to him. Why? Because he's undeniable. The son of God. Because of his miraculous healings, his regenerative healings. Think about it. He says to the man, stretch out your arm. And he stretches it out. He doesn't say, oh, let me work on it a little bit here. Let me do some physical therapy on it. Maybe some acupuncture and then I can get it well. No, he says, stretch out your arm. And he stretches it out. He touches the man and immediately he's healed of his leprosy. That's why they're trying to touch him. Because they, they realized that if they could even just touch Jesus, they could be healed. 
He tells a man who can't walk, your sins are forgiven, rise up, take your mat, and go home. And what does he do? He walks out of the room with all the Pharisees watching. Even the demonic spirits listen to him. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, the precursor to Christ, John's disciples are even wondering if Jesus was the Messiah. Why? Because John is in prison. He's about to die in prison, and they're wondering, is this the Messiah? I mean, if he's the Messiah, why is John in prison? Matthew eleven two says this, when John heard... When, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. You tell me if he's the son of God. This is what he's doing. He's proving he is the son of God by the works that he does. It's undeniable. And yet the Pharisees missed it. But the crowds, they kept coming. Isaiah 9 verse 1 and 2 tells about the time where Jesus will come. And he will come from Galilee of the Gentiles. The Sea of Galilee is where he's at right now. 9, 1. But there will be no gloom for who who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in later times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. Praise the Lord that he's awakened some of you in this room to the light that Jesus is Lord. That he is who he says he is. Praise the Lord. The Bible itself brings proof that Jesus is the undeniable king. Over 300 prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. I'll repeat that. 300 Prophecies. Some scholars say it's more like 500 prophecies. The meta narrative itself describes the seed of the woman who crushes the head of the serpent, who is Jesus. And the serpent will strike his heel. The serpent will strike him when he goes to the cross, but he will crush the head of the serpent, conquering death through his death and resurrection. All the way back in Genesis 3, God is showing the Christ will come. And he prophesies this over and over and over again throughout Scripture. Isaiah 55, 4 through 5 says this, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you did not know you shall run to shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. But not only that it is prophesied about, Jesus' greatest work, the greatest thing that we can hold on to, that he is undeniably the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the fact that he was in the grave three days. 
and he resurrected from the dead. The undeniability of the resurrection of the dead of Jesus Christ proves that he truly is the Son of God. And that, my friends, demands our worship of him. Verse 9, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. You see, Jesus had all of these people coming to him. They wanted to be healed. They'd heard that Jesus could heal their diseases, and they pressed so far around him to touch him. Yet earlier he had said, I've come to do what? To share the good news. To teach the people about the kingdom of God that is here. So Jesus then, after this scene of this huge crowd, what does he do? He takes 12 men to the side and he says, you're going to be my disciples. You're going to be the people who are with me so that I can send you out to preach. This is our second point this morning. The king is concerned with making disciples and not with popularity. The king is concerned about making disciples, not with popularity. If Jesus wanted to be popular, he could be. He's concerned about followers, image bearers in the likeness of God filling the earth. In the section, Jesus, in this next section, again, I say, he will appoint 12 to send out to preach Jesus declares, what has he declared? That the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. And back, going back into Mark chapter 1, he said this in Mark chapter 1 verse 38. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Why did Jesus come out? Why? To preach to the people the good news that the kingdom of God is here. The very next story after he says this is Jesus heals a man with leprosy. He's healed the leper and he tells him not to go tell anyone what happened. But guess what the leper does? He goes and tells everybody, right? He's been healed. So he goes and he tells everybody and the good news gets out. So Jesus can no longer enter into towns to preach. He must withdraw, and that's where we are now. But we see this narrative of the crowds throughout the Gospels, and not all the crowds will stay with Jesus. John 6 tells us that after some very hard sayings, that many no longer walked with him. There are many in our world today who walk with Jesus, but hard times in their life, hard things that they have to hear in the Gospels or hard things that happen to them, they no longer walk with Jesus either. And we'll see that again in the parable of the soils in chapter 4, and it'll be in this section. Some will begin to show fruit, yet never were truly disciples to begin with. But Jesus has compassion on the crowds of people. He didn't ignore them. 
He healed them and he taught them the truth. But his investment was in the 12. We as Christians can have influence on many, many people. But God has called us to make disciples. So if all we're doing is having influence in people and yet not making disciples, we're missing what God has planned for our life. Do you know how hard it is to make a disciple of Christ? Like, it is super hard. Someone who doesn't grow up in a Christian home, someone who doesn't understand the gospel, someone who doesn't confess Christ, to bring them to a point where they understand enough about the gospel to say, Jesus is my king, he's undeniably my Lord, and I'm going to follow him the rest of my life. That is so hard. We declare the gospel with our life. We declare the gospel with the word of God. And yet, when somebody says, I want to give up my life for Christ, we need to praise the Lord. But that is a huge investment. It's a huge amount of time. How about just even making a disciple in your home? Uh, These kids, we may take it for granted, but these these kids, their parents have invested in their life. In the world that we live in, it's not easy to say, I'm going to follow Jesus as a young person. It's not. So, So it is an investment in the life of people. It's messy too. Guess what? It's messy. Discipleship. Life-on-life discipleship, knowing people and them knowing you, it's not easy. Yet it's God's design for us. And, And we'll see this throughout the book of Mark. When he names his disciples, guess what? They're imperfect. It's real messy. Peter denies Christ. I mean, it's it's so messy. Yet God's design is for us to invest our life in a few people who will turn and impact a few. And pretty soon, the multiplying effect for the kingdom of God is extraordinary. More than we could ask or imagine. And we do that here in our church through community groups and investing our life and sharing our life together. Verse 11, I'm almost done. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Now, it's interesting, right? The unclean spirits are the demonic spirits. They're claiming Christ. They're saying, I know that he is the Son of God. I am professing that he is the Son of God. But we know that they're not for him. They are against him. So what is happening here is these demonic spirits, and earlier it it was said that one of them said, you are the holy one of God in Mark chapter, I think it's one. So what is happening here? Well, I think we get a principal point here from point number three. The king calls for submission, not just recognition. The king calls for submission, not just recognition. 
You see, the Pharisees are trying to destroy Jesus. The crowds want Jesus to heal him. And the demons are the one who recognize who he is. It's interesting. It's irony. Mark is, is getting us into this irony. Earlier, the demon said, he is the Holy One of God. Now they're crying out, you are the Son of God. They're falling down before the King because he has the authority over them and they recognize who he is. They acknowledge him as the Son of God, but they don't make him Lord, meaning they are not submitting to him. James describes it like this in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see, people that say, hey, I believe in God and yet show no evidence of faith in their life, show the faith of that of a demon. They claim Jesus is the Son of God, but their life and their actions and their response to the gospel is thus that Jesus is not the Son of God. The demons are declaring who Jesus is, but their actions speak differently. You see, may it be that God says of his church that our actions line up with declaring that Jesus is the king. We've said that Jesus is undeniably the king. Now let's say it with our life. Probably the scariest verse in the Bible is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. That's a scary verse, is it not? People are calling him Lord, who will do works in his name, but will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because... They said they believed, but their hearts and their life tell a different story. You see, there's really no half-hearted Christians. It's not a thing. There is really no riding the fence and saying, I follow Jesus. There's really no Christmas and Easter followers of Jesus. There's really... only one type of believer it's the deny yourself take up your cross and follow me christian that's it why because jesus is undeniably the king what else can you do verse 12 says it all Look at verse 12. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he strictly ordered who? The demons to not make him known. Why? He doesn't need the demons to declare who he is. Because Jesus himself is making himself known. Amen? He will reveal himself. Not only to his disciples, but to the world. 
that he is the very son of God. And that by believing in his name, you may have eternal life. You see, God pointed to him through the scriptures. And now Jesus is affirming himself through his miracles. But ultimately, he will affirm what he says through the resurrection of the dead, saying, you too will be resurrected to new life just as I have been, if you believe in me. You see, I can't make someone submit their life to the authority of Christ, but certainly God can open their heart and allow them to know that they need Christ as their Savior. These beautiful uh, people that were baptized this morning, they testified to their love for Christ. As only a, a child can, right? And it is a childlike faith in which we come to Jesus and say, I need salvation from my sin. And that Jesus is God's provision for salvation for sinners. That he died on the cross for me. And I'm going to submit my life to him. Not only confessing with my mouth, but believing in my heart. That not only means that I'm confessing Jesus is the son of God, that he is Lord. But it also means that my faith through my action is displayed because my heart loves Jesus. And all I can do is love Christ and live his mission. We don't, we don't ask people at our church, you must do this, you have to do this. No, we say, if you love Christ, Christ will give you what you need. And you will fulfill his mission because you want to, not because you have to. So this is, right? The undeniability of Christ leads us to a love for Christ, which leads us to live his mission. So I hope this morning that you're encouraged by the word of God and the truth of God's word to live out the gospel in your own life. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the undeniability of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that you have given to us the word to show us, your creation to show us. Father, we thank you that the miracles of Christ testify to who he is. We thank you for the resurrection of Christ. And Father, help us to be people who understand this truth and that it so overwhelms us that all we can do is love the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that it's a crazy morning because the house of God is always crazy. And we thank you that we have the ability to come and worship you together, both young and old, and worship you as the body of Christ in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.